Everybody to Spice of Life, thank you for, for giving of your time, for joining us this evening on Facebook, on Zoom, on, not on, in person. <clears throat> the title of the class this evening is, You Can't Spell Danger Without Anger. I know everyone's trying to work it out right now. Just add the D. You can't spell danger without anger. Obviously, the topic is going to be anger. And we'll hopefully talk about the trait in, in a general sense. And then some practical examples or advice on how we could try to minimize it. And maybe delve into where the root cause of anger could potentially come from. But before that... Let's give a brief, brief synopsis of the Parsha. This Parsha, Parsha's Va'era, discusses, has seven of the ten plagues in it. So yes, we were in slavery for 210 years, but it's all in one Parsha. It's just pretty much God describes the fact that we were enslaved, that we are crying out that the Egyptians made our lives extremely bitter. And now the salvation begins. And interestingly enough, the first three plagues, the Torah tells us, Moshe was not allowed to do. He was not allowed to he himself perform. The first two came from the Nile River. Aaron had to hit the Nile. The, the third one, the plague of lice, came from the ground. Moshe could not hit the ground. Aaron had to hit the ground and turn into lice. Why is it as such? So Rashi explains... Because Moshe benefited from the Nile, and he benefited from the ground. Moshe was put in a basket, floated down the Nile River, and that's what saved his life. Therefore, the first two plagues, the plague of blood, the plague of frogs, Moshe was not allowed to hit the Nile. And when Moshe killed the Egyptian and buried the Egyptian in the ground, Moshe was saved by the ground, by covering up the Egyptian's body. Therefore, Moshe was not allowed to hit the ground, I guess, so to speak, to inflict pain on it, to turn it into lice, because of the benefit that he received. Which teaches us a tremendous lesson. We tend to think, we tend to think that gratitude, not just expressing gratitude, but the feeling of gratitude that I should have, is exclusive to Human beings. Maybe one could argue to an animal, to the companion of a dog, a cat, a close pet. Maybe one could argue as well that there's a certain comfort that is brought so I could have gratitude to it. But an object that has zero emotion, zero feeling, no way of expressing itself, no one would ever think you have to have gratitude. And it's not like the Nile River or the ground did anything. The Nile was flowing as it always does. Moshe was put in a basket and it let him float down the river. It didn't do anything out of ordinary. It just did exactly what it does. The ground, it just sits there like it does every single day. Moshe dug it up and then covered it back. So it's not like the Nile or the ground did anything. So one would definitely ask, not only... Do these things, don't have feelings, don't have emotion. Why do I need to express gratitude or even feel gratitude towards them? And they didn't do anything. 
They were doing exactly what they do every single day. It's not like they went out of their way to do something for Moshe. Nevertheless, what the Torah is teaching us, the extent of the feeling of gratitude that we should have. Irrelevant if the entity that I am thanking could feel that. In this case, they can't. Because a lot of the times, gratitude is not just expressing gratitude to the person or to the entity. That's important. But it's a feeling that we should have inside of gratitude, of appreciation, that this thing benefited me. I derived something good from it. I need to properly express gratitude. Or at least, I can't go ahead and afflict pain on it because of what it has done for me. In a similar sense, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to come into Seoul and see people uh, speaking to the chairs. But in a similar concept, one would never say, I have to feel gratitude to the chair, to the tables in the synagogue, because it allows me to sit on it, it allows me to pray on it, it allows me to put the sitter down so I could study. We would never think that. Nevertheless, there are stories that are brought down of great rabbis who who wouldn't go ahead and, and break the chair that they always learned in. They wouldn't go ahead and just disgrace things that they benefited from because it's a feeling inside of every single thing as a gift from God. Every single thing is deserving of that recognition, of that appreciation because I derive benefit from it. That's what the Torah teaches us. As we know the rest of the plagues in this week's Parsha, so first blood, frogs, lice. The fourth was wild animals. The fifth was pestilence. The sixth was boils. The seventh was hail. And it's interesting that throughout a lot of these plagues, in next, week parsha, next week's Parsha as well with the locusts, but in this week's Parsha with the frogs, with the wild animals, the border disputes that were going on ceased. Because God said that this plague should go about in the land of Egypt. So the frogs, the wild animals, they knew exactly where the border was, exactly where God wanted them to go. And that's how the neighboring countries knew this is where the border of Egypt ends. This is where we begin. So many border disputes happened or were erased during that time because of the uh, plagues that happened. There's much to say on the actual plagues themselves. We'll wait till Pesach. We'll wait till Pesach, till the, till the Seder or pre-Passover class. That's not what I wanted to focus on this evening. But there's much to say about the measure for measure, exactly how God, exactly how the Egyptians treated the Jewish people. That is how God afflicted them with these specific types of plagues. It wasn't just God's like, oh, you know what? Frogs would be an interesting uh, plague to give. Let's give them frogs. It was a specific reason. Wild animals, pestilence. All of these plagues were a specific reason, measure for measure. The way that the Egyptians treated the Jewish people, they were deserving of a similar punishment. What does anger have to do with this week's Parsha? Again, for those tuning in now, the title is, You Can't Spell Danger Without Anger. The Bigger's Parrots, which is a commentary on the Torah written by the Stipler Gon. The Stipler, as was his name, was Rabbi Yaakov Yisrael Kanievsky, the father of Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky. 
He lived from 1899 to 1985. He was a not just a brilliant man, but a righteous, righteous, holy person. And Rashi famously says as follows. If we look in the Torah, the Torah says, Moshe goes to Paro, there's going to be a plague of frogs. In the plural, frogs are going to be going all over Egypt. They're going to be all over you. They're going to be in your beds. They're going to be in your houses. They're going to be in your ovens. No matter where you go, there is going to be frogs. Then when the plague happens, when Aaron hits the Nile, when Aaron hits the Nile, the Torah says, Vatal Hatsifardea. The frog came up. Not frogs. The frog came up. What happened, Moshe? I thought you said that there's going to be frogs. And if it's going to cover an entire country, we're talking millions, if not billions of frogs that are jumping all around. Yet the Torah says, in the singular, the frog came up. Rashi tells us, Tzifardea Achas, one frog came out and it was a very large frog. Vahayumakin Osa, and the Egyptians would hit it. And every time they would hit this frog, more and more frogs would come out of its mouth. And that's how you got the millions and millions of frogs that ended up covering the entire land of Egypt. So yes, one frog did come out, which ended up letting out so many more. Why? Because of the hits of the Egyptians. The stipler asks the rather obvious question. You're an Egyptian. You see this big frog come up. Okay, Moshe said there's going to be a plague of frogs. Well, let me hit it. Let me see if I could kill it. If I kill this frog, then there's not going to be any more plague. So I started hitting the frog. I'm trying to knock it out. And every time I hit it, more and more frogs come out. And then my friends come and they start hitting it. More and more frogs are coming out. So maybe after 100, 200, 1,000 frogs... You think they would get the, the message? You think one person would say, what? hey, I, I figured it out. Every time we hit the frog, more frogs come out. If we don't hit the frog anymore, then no more frogs will come out. The Egyptians continued to whack it. Now one person thought of that. They continued to hit, and that's how we had millions and millions of frogs all over the land of Egypt. Why didn't any Egyptian think of that simple answer? And the stipler goes on to explain. He says the more that they hit the frog, the angrier they became. And the angrier that they became, the more irrational they acted. And they continued to hit. And with every hit, they got more angry. And the more irrational. And when one becomes irrational, they're not thinking clearly. So their whole reason as to why they are hitting the frog is to make it that there are no more frogs. But they failed to realize that what they are actually doing is increasing the frogs. Why? Because of the trait of anger. The more that they hit, the more they got enraged, the more they got so upset, their seichel, their intellect went bye-bye, gone. 
sayonara. And they continued to hit, continued to hit, until millions and millions and millions of frogs covered the entire land of Egypt. The stipler says the destructive force or what we see when it comes to anger, that when one becomes angry, when one becomes so involved, that's all they see. That's all they're able to focus on. Everything else, rational thought, gone. Seeing a bigger picture, gone. Trying to even ask a question to get them to logically think, gone. When someone becomes angry, it consumes them to the point that you end up acting the opposite of what you were trying to accomplish. That's how irrational the trait of anger can become. And that's what we see from the Egyptians. They would have stopped a few frogs. But the plague happened because the Egyptians continued to hit going against their own intellect of what they were trying to accomplish. And with that, with the description of the stipler, of the trait of anger, of how irrational it causes us to act, let's delve into a little bit of maybe different types of anger, how destructive it could be, what the Torah says about it, and maybe possible remedies. Perkyavos Ethics of Our Fathers tells us, source number two, chapter five, Mishnah 11. It says, Arba Midos Bedeos. There are four types of, of deos, of, of outlooks. Noach Lichos, Vinoach Lirtos. There are people that can easily get angry and they're easily appeased. They're going to get angry very quickly, all the time. There are people that. It's just kind of who they are. You say a little something, you breathe the wrong way, you wore the wrong color shirt, this or that. They're going to get angry. It's very easy for them to just lose it, blow a fuse. But at the same time, they could calm down very easily as well. It happens a lot. It's not something that we want. But at least the positive, they calm down quickly. So there, yatsa scharo behevsedo, the reward goes out with its loss, meaning the fact that, yeah, you get appeased quickly is not going to change the fact that you're always constantly getting angry. That's not a good thing. Then there's kasha lichos ve kasha lirtos. It's very hard for someone to get angry, a different type of person. They have a lot of patience. It's very hard for them. Not many things are going to rattle them to get them angry. But when you do get them angry, when those moments happen that they get really angry, then kashalirtos, they're going to be holding on to that. They are going to remember that feeling, why they're upset with you for a very long time. It is very hard for them to let go. That's a different category of people. There, Yatza Hefsedo Bischaro. The loss is better than the reward, meaning the fact that it takes you a long time to get angry, or there's not many things that you get angry, that's a good thing. You're not always constantly looking, you're more easygoing, or maybe you've worked on yourself where a lot of things are not going to bother you. Yet, nonetheless, when you do, 
That's not good. But at least it takes a lot to get you angry. Kasha lichos v'noach lirtos. A third person is, it's very hard for me to get angry. Takes a lot to get me angry. And guess what? Even if you do get me angry, v'noach lirtos. I don't hold on to it for so long. I could be appeased pretty quickly. I could get over it. I move on. The anger subsides. There, Pirkei Avos says, Chassid, you're a pious person. That's amazing. It takes you a lot to get angry. And even when you do get angry, it'll pass. It's not going to go for so long. There, you're a Chassid, you're a pious person. And lastly, the fourth category, Noach Lichos, Vekasha Lirtos Russia. Someone who's easy to get angry, and it's very hard to appease them. That, you're a Russia, you're a wicked person. The first category, it's easy to get angry, but I'll forget about it pretty quick. All right. Not the best level, but it's something. The Russia, the wicked person, it's very easy for me to get angry. I'm always looking. I'm always that type of person. And then when you do on anything, I'm not going to let it go. That, you're a Russia, you're a wicked person. And it's interesting. The Tosos Yanta, the commentary on the Pirkei points out as follows. And he says something which the more we are cognizant of it, the more real it can become, the more honest we can be with ourselves. He says as follows. Listen to the words of our sages. Why didn't the sages write a fifth level? Someone who doesn't get angry at all. Pirkei writes, there are, these are the four categories. I have a fifth. Someone who never gets angry. Isn't that the ultimate? Someone who never gets angry. Says the Tosos Yantiv. He says, To never get angry, you'll never find within a person. Who was the greatest in humility? More than Moshe. And the Torah says, Moshe became angry with the soldiers after taking the spoils in Parsha's Masse. And even greater than that, Moshe says to the Jewish people when it came to hitting the rocks, listen to me, rebellious people. Therefore, if even Moshe, and we'll see how he's equating humility with anger, we'll get to that a little bit later. But the Tosos Yantav explains that even Moshe, the most humble of all people, there are times that the Torah records that he got angry. And therefore, there's no such category, there's no such level as never getting angry. It is going to happen to each and every one of us. Throughout our lifetime, there are going to be moments where we get angry. Yes, the more we work on ourselves, we will be able to control that feeling where we won't lash out, where we won't yell, where we won't act upon it. That's tremendous work, a lifetime of work. But to never fool ourselves, to appreciate the fact where if somebody said, me, angry? That's not a trait that I struggle with. That's not a trait that is really a part of me. I never get angry. The answer is, are you greater than Moshe? No. 
There are going to be times in your life. Whether it's already happened and you have just decided to ignore it, rationalize it, or maybe it hasn't. It will. There are going to be times where you get angry, where it gets the best of you. Hopefully it's just one of those where it's, I'm getting, it's hard for me to get angry. And then even once I do get angry, I'll let go very quickly. But there's no such category as no one ever getting angry in their lifetime. That's step one, to appreciate that we are all going to suffer from it. We are all going to have the struggle of getting angry. Some different than others. Different instances, different cases, but it's always going to be. That's the commentary of the Tosus Yantiv, the Pirkei Avos. To appreciate some of the things. So when it comes to working on anger, there are obviously, as we'll see, certain times that may be more opportune times to get angry. But as we've discussed many times in the past, the concept of Musr, the concept of working on oneself, of learning, many times is to picture, to internalize certain sayings of the rabbi, certain sayings of the Talmud, of the Torah, that stir our insides, that inspire us, that affect us in certain ways. And the more we're able to feel, to appreciate that, that helps us in the moment. The more we're able to make it part of our conscious, not just our subconscious, but in our conscious, then in the moment we are able to remember that and hopefully it will help remove the anger. One of those lines is as follows. If we look on page two, source number three. The Talmud in Tractate Nadarim 22a says as follows. Kol hakoes, anybody who gets angry. Komine gehenem sholtim bo. All aspects of Gehenna, which is purgatory, hell, rule over him. Shinemar, as the verse says, Vahaser kas milibecha, remove anger from your heart, Vahaver ra'a mibsarecha, and remove the evil from your flesh. Says the Talmud, Ain ra'a el Gehenna. When it says evil, that is in reference to Gehenna, to hell. To stop and to picture and to focus on that moment where hell is a place that we work our entire life improving ourselves, trying to become better people so we don't have to go there. It's a place that, no, 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 I don't want to go. It's not a place that we want to end up. Yet, while we're living in this world, we could be, we could be experiencing the entire purgatory while we are living. And that's at the moments that we get angry. There are commentaries that explain it in the literal sense. And there are commentaries where Yeruchim Levavit says that it's not just in the literal sense, but it's also that when one gets angry, they are living with hell within them. They're not happy with themselves. They are embarrassed. They are arrogant. We'll see all these different traits come out. But there's something internally going wrong within them. That's why they're getting angry. That is walking, talking hell. Because you're not at peace. You're not happy with oneself. 
the more we could make that feeling real. That I would never want to go there, yet when I'm angry, I'm there. That could help remove the anger. That could help us, the more we internalize that, get rid of the anger. Similarly, the Talmud tells us, and this is mentioned in source number four, another famous passage of the Talmud that says, Kol HaKoes, anybody who gets angry, Ke'ilu Oved Avodah it's as if they are worshiping idols. Any Jewish person, if we paint that picture, one of the big three that one has to give up their life for, if you have a gun to your head, and somebody says to you, if you don't worship this idol, I am going to kill you. We got to give up our lives. And so many Jewish people throughout the generations, irrelevant of religious level, have given up their lives for that. They would not forsake their religion to go ahead and worship an idol. We would never ever want to do that. Yet says the Talmud, when you're angry, God, the Torah, equates that. It's as if you worshipped idols. What's the connection between the two? Because when you get angry, as we saw from the stipler, when you get angry, your intellect is out the door. When you get angry because you have no intellect that will increase your anger, you will end up committing so many more sins. That's why all forms of purgatory are ruling over you, because you're just going to continue to go down that path and continue to do sins in your state of anger. And when you have no seichel, when you have no intellect, there is nothing stopping you from going ahead and worshiping an idol. It's gone. The more we think about that at the time that we're getting angry, or not at the time, to arm ourselves to be ready when we do get angry, that, oh, getting angry, it's as if I'm worshiping idols. I, I can't have that on me. I would never ever do that. I would give up my life to not worship idols, but I get angry all the time. The more of a realization we make that, and Rabbi Isaac Sher points out, all right, what, what, what halachic difference? What, what really could that spell out for us? Okay, fine. It's as if I worshiped idols. What difference does it make? How is that going to help me? He says as follows. Even though you don't have to give up your life when you get angry, it's not something that we have to, there wouldn't be anyone alive anymore. It's not something that we have to give up our life for. But when we say it's as if you are worshiping idols, then there's some element of you got to give up your life. You don't actually have to, but there's some aspect of that, of how I am acting now, of I'm in a state where... I'm worshiping idols. It's as if I'm worshiping idols. There's some aspect of me having to give up my life. And the more we are able to feel and appreciate that, to really work on ourselves day in and day out, to say this line over again, to really feel that aspect. Me worship idols? No, I would never do that. But I get angry all the time. Yeah, you do. To be able to arm ourselves before we're in that moment with the greater tools where right when we get angry, all of a sudden, what pops into our conscious is, whoa, 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 you're about to worship idols. I, I, I can't do that. That red light will go off in our head, and, whoa, I can't proceed. 
Let me think about it. Let me at least analyze. That's the difference that it could make. Those are two of the more famous sayings, teachings about anger. We see that one could lose their entire intellect. And not only can lose their entire intellect, but all aspects of purgatory are ruling over you at the time that you're angry. It's as if that you're worshiping idols. But it's more than that. Orcho Sadikim, the ways of the Sadikim, source number five in the gate of anger. And he says many phenomenal things. I was only able for the sake of time to pick out one. But he says as follows. The sages tell us, quoting the tractate Erevin, There are three things that a person is recognized with. One of them is Picasso. Not Picasso, the artist. Picasso. With their anger. And he explains as follows. At the time that a person is angry, Adam, Nicker, they are recognizable. Their true essence self comes out. They have a certain element of wisdom, intellect, understanding. Yet if their anger takes over, it controls them. It overpowers their wisdom, their intellect. And they do certain things at the time that they are angry. Below Han without any usage of intellect, which many of us do, at the time that we get angry, only after the fact we ask ourselves, what in the world did I just do? How was I acting? Then, Bazet Nikar Kaso, their anger is recognizable. However, Vimtis Gaber Kaso, if their intellect their wisdom, their understanding overpowers their anger. Velo yadaber, they don't end up saying something. Velo yasa maisa machmasakas, and they don't do an action because of their anger. Mashlo haya osa belokas, that which they wouldn't have done without being angry. Bezen nikr chachmasa, there we see their wisdom, their understanding, their intellect. One of the three things where we could see the true essence of a person. It's when they get angry. Are they someone who allows their intellect to reign supreme? Or are they purely emotional? Do they allow themselves to get caught up in the moment and do things that they would never have ever dreamed of doing? I hope many of us are somewhere in the middle where most of the time our intellect reigns supreme. Most of the time, we're able to overcome. But I'm sure each and every one of us, I'm talking about myself, will for sure say, the anger got the best of me. I did something, I said something that I would never have dreamed of saying. That I just blurted it out in the moment because I got angry. That's where we're able to see the true essence of a person. There's a phenomenal story with Ramosha Feinstein. Ramosha Feinstein bought a beautiful shas, a set of Talmud. And he would write his notes in there. Imagine the great Ramosha Feinstein and the notes that he had in the Talmud, precious. And then he was writing, you know, feather with ink. And one of his grandchildren, he went into the kitchen for something. 
And one of his grandchildren spilled the ink all over the pages of the Talmud. And Ramosha Feinstein came out and he looked at them and smiled and said, Ah, what a beautiful Talmud I have here. What a beautiful Gemara that I have here. And afterwards, one of his kids went and asked him, How, how in the world were you able to do that? How in the world did you not blow up at the kid? Like, these are my notes. These are my precious gems, not just for myself, but for the Jewish people. This is what I spent my life doing. Be more careful. And Ramosha said, do you know how many years it took of me working on myself to be able to have that control? It's not something where Ramosha, where we see Moshe Rabbeinu Everyone is going to have a time in their life where they get angry, but the more we work on ourselves, the more we're able to control. We see his intellect. That's how he runs their life. As opposed to just going with the emotions of getting angry. That's what the Orphan Zemikim tells us. If we look on page 3, Maimonides tells us something. In his Mishnah Torah, in his, in his magnum opus, his great work, in Hilchos Deos, where he writes about different traits, how we should act. So the piece right before this, he says that character traits, we should pick a middle-of-the-road route. We shouldn't go extreme one way, we shouldn't go extreme the other way, but we should go down the middle. And with each and every trait, there's always that middle, there's a time and place for everything, there's a way to conduct ourselves on a normal basis, going down the middle path, taking good from either side. Right? Somebody who uh, is extremely passionate to go extreme one way, that's not always the best. Someone to be the opposite, completely uh, living their life with apathy, that's not good either. So you go down the middle. You take a little bit of both. There are certain things, let it slide. There are certain things, no, we've got to be passionate about. Yet, when it comes to the trait of anger, says Maimonides as follows, not just arrogance, but he says, similarly anger. It's an extremely dangerous, evil trait. That we should distance ourselves from it the total opposite way. The Yilmud Asma, we should train ourselves, Shalom Yichos, not to get angry. Even on things that we should get angry about, we should train ourselves not to get angry. He says, if there are times, depending maybe on your job, if you want to instill a certain fear, and I'm not necessarily saying that this is the best route, but let's say within your household you want uh, your children to act a certain way. You have a congregation, you want to speak to them about a certain way that they may be acting, where you want to share a certain element of rebuke. He says as follows, if somebody wants to get angry, don't actually get angry. Just yira atma b'fneim, show it on your face. But inside, you're not angry. Now that's an extremely high level. That's an extremely high level. But he says, quoting these passages of the Talmud, that when somebody gets angry, their wisdom disappears from them. When someone gets angry, it's as if they're worshiping idols. 
Anger is one of those traits that there is no middle road. It's something that we should completely distance ourselves from. That's the proper approach. There's no middle road when it comes to anger. Even times when we really should get angry, Maimonides says don't. Because it's a slippery slope. Once you allow anger to become a part of you, once you allow that trait to take effect, there's no shut-off mode. There's no, oh, you know what, just in this case. Once it's permeated, once it's a part, it begins to take effect in other, other ways. And therefore he says, go the furthest approach. No anger. Go away from it. No, 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 in this case. This is not like any other trait. There is no middle path. Distance yourself completely from anger. Because as we see from the stipler, we see from the Egyptians, when one gets angry, your wisdom is gone. Your intellect out the door. You're going to do things that you would never have imagined doing, that you never would have thought of doing. The more we are aware of the destructive power, the more we are able to work on ourselves, to understand that we're all going to struggle with it. But there are times in our lives that are more opportune for anger. Says the Shla HaKadosh lived from 1555 to 1630. Buried in Tiberias, Tiberia. Buried uh, right near the Rambam Maimonides' grave. And he says something as follows. He says, Shabbos is a day of peace, tranquility. It's a day of relaxing. That's what's supposed to be. That's the mindset that we should have. Very different to Erev Shabbos in practicality. If you go into a house on Erev Shabbos, tensions are high. You got to get the food cooked. This kid hasn't showered yet. The table isn't set. The floor needs to be swept. Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Everybody's on edge. Everybody's, we got to do this. We got to do that. Why didn't you do That's what's happening on Erev Shabbos on a Friday. Very opposite to the actual day of Shabbos. Says the Shla. He says as follows, the prohibition of lighting a fire on Shabbos, the Torah tells us, Lo savaru eish One should not light, burn a fire in all of their dwellings on the day of Shabbos. On the day of Shabbos. He says, it's not just telling us, don't light a fire in actuality, striking the match, lighting the fire on Shabbos, but it's telling us, don't get angry on Shabbos either because anger is similar to fire. And don't get don't burn that fire on Shabbos in your dwelling places. That's not something that you should go into Shabbos. What does it have to do with Arab Shabbos? Says the Shla. It says lo, don't. Lamed Aleph is how you spell lo, don't. The numerical value of that is 31. Chatzos, midday on Friday, is when really a lot of the preparations in halacha take effect when it comes to Erev Shabbos on Friday. 
Midday on, on Friday until the end of Shabbos is how many hours? 31. Because midday till the end of Friday, midday, there's 12 hours in a day. So six hours is midday. So six hours plus 25 hours of Shabbos is 31. Says the Shlah, the 31 hours of Erev Shabbos of Friday throughout Shabbos, don't burn that fire. Not in actuality, but anger. Because it's a time where tensions are high. The more we are aware of that, the more we are aware of a situation, we're going into a Friday. We know, each and every one of us, that I could easily be set off today. We're all running around. We all have so many things to do. One little comment, one little statement, bam, the fire is lit. I'm burning up inside. The more we could be proactive in A, avoiding that and knowing that, oh, it's, it's Friday. I'm going into it taking a deep breath. Oh, I have a meeting with somebody that I know when they go ahead and say something to me that could really get my blood boiling. Let me, let me work on myself a little bit before. Let me speak to myself before to calm myself down, to know that I'm going into a situation that could easily turn up the fire. The Shalad tells us that is something on Shabbos, the 31 hours. Similarly, the Savior Hasidim tells us, I know there's conflicting opinions out there in terms of the marriage gurus. Husband and wife get in a fight. Should you wait till the morning or should you not go to sleep while you're still feeling these feelings? It's a debate. Some say, no, no, you should never go to sleep. You got to communicate. You got to tackle the feelings right away or before at least you go to sleep. And there are others who say, wait till the morning. Wait till the morning. The Sefer Hasidim brings down an incident that happened. There was a son who honored their father tremendously. And he said that when I die, he said, son, you, 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 have, you have fulfilled this mitzvah to the fullest. You have honored me always. When I die, I am commanding you to hang your anger for one night. Where you should hold yourself back from speaking. You get angry, you'll deal with it in the morning. So after his father died, he went overseas. He left his pregnant wife at home. And this is way back when, where going overseas was not just a simple flight. And it wasn't just coming back right away. He went overseas for Parnassa for livelihood. And it ended up being that years later he returned. He would send some money back, but years later he returned. And he came back to the city at night. And he goes to his wife's room and he sees that she's lying there. And he sees and he hears the voice of a man. And she's kissing the man. And he takes out his sword. He's ready to kill both of them. Thinking that she's having an affair. And he remembers the command of his father. Where he commanded him, 
wait one night. So he goes. He didn't tell her that I'm home or anything like that. And he goes to a different place to stay. The next morning he goes to Shul. And when he brings up to his wife, he says, or she says, this, this is our son. You haven't seen him. You haven't been home in, in, in a decade plus. He's a man now. He's not a little baby. You haven't seen him. You don't know. And that's when he understood. That's when he realized I was ready to kill my child and my wife thinking because I got angry. But my father's advice was, wait one night. Because what happens when we wait is our intellect returns. Maybe not fully. Maybe we're still feeling some anger. But our intellect is there. And when our intellect is there, we're able to at least approach, to think, to rationalize, to hear some kind of explanation a little bit better than in the moment when we're burning with rage. When we have those moments where we do get angry, take a deep breath, step back, don't respond. Because nine times out of ten, if not ten out of ten, you will do, you will say something that you're going to regret. The more we are aware of that, the more we are able to avoid so many situations that once said, once done, many times can never be undone. To the detriment of ourselves, our spouse, our families, our friends, co-workers, where we have said something that we can never ever take back. Lastly, what I wanted to discuss before we close is where does anger really come from? Or what can we glean from the words of our sages where at least a root cause, something to work on when it comes to anger? As we mentioned in the, in the Tosos Yontif, where he mentioned humility and Moshe. So the Geras HaRamban, Nachmanides wrote a letter to his son. It's not the longest letter, but it is a wealth of wisdom. And he begins as follows. He begins quoting the verse of Mishle Proverbs, Listen, my son, to the, to the Musr of your father, Valtita Shtorisimecha, and never ever forget the Torah of your mother. And he says as follows. First things that he says, Tisnai tamid ladaber kol devarecha benachas, one should constantly act where they speak all of their words pleasantly, l'chol adam v'chol ace, to every person at all times. To speak pleasantly, menzlech. Uvezeh tinatzel menachas, with this you will be saved from anger. Shehimida ra lahachti b'nei adam, it's an evil trait that causes many to sin. As our sages have said, anyone who gets angry, all hell is ruling over them, as we mentioned. And he quotes the verse. When somebody saves themselves from anger, what trait will come up in one's heart when they remove anger, when they avoid anger? Humility. 
This is the ultimate trait of all good traits. And what Nachmanides is highlighting, what the Tosos Yantif highlights, is most of the time when we get angry, it's because we are not humble. Meaning, we are expecting something. This is how somebody should respond. This is how I should be treated. This is how people should act. I have an expectation. I have determined the rules. I have determined how things should be in my head. So now life goes ahead and plays out. That's how I am looking out into the world. That's how I walk about my day. Consciously, subconsciously, that is how we all feel. Things should go my way. Each of us will answer that differently. Children should act a certain way. Spouse should act a certain way. Parents should act a certain way. Coworkers, friends, everything should be. God owes me certain things. And then it doesn't happen. Where we expected God to give us certain things, we expected this business deal to go through, and it didn't. We expect that when we come home, our wife and children should be a certain way, or our husband and children should be a certain way, and they're not. We expect that Waze says this trip should take four hours and that's it. And it ended up taking five. What happens in all of those situations when we have expectations, how we think many things should be and it's not? We get angry. We say something that shouldn't be said. We act in a certain way that shouldn't be done. All stemming from arrogance. We tend to think arrogance is I treat everybody badly. That's all part of it. I look down on people. That's all part of it. But a more subtle aspect of arrogance is expectations. I am owed. This is how things should be. I determine the way people should act. Never mind the fact that everyone is different, everyone has their own struggles, but this is how things should be. This is what we tell ourselves. And when it doesn't, oh boy, you're going to hear about it. I'm going to get very upset very quickly. I'm going to say that sarcastic remark. I'm going to do something because it didn't go my way. But when we come with humility, when we understand that would I like certain things? Of course. But that doesn't mean God is going to give it to me. God is the ultimate one who's in control. God is the one who is giving me what is best for me. I may not see it. I may not necessarily even agree. But I don't really know what's best for me. God does. So when you're having, quote unquote, that bad day where all those things, you're angry at God, you're angry at the world, the more we take a step back and understand that a little bit of humility. God, you're, you're the one in control. Who says that this really should have been? Oh, because I did? Then all of a sudden, you're not going to get as angry. When I come in with a recognition of humility where my children are my children, my spouse is my spouse, they have their own struggles, 
They're trying their best. They're doing what they can. Yes, there may be times where you could say something to get them to improve, something for their own benefit in the proper time, place, and way. But if I come in with these expectations, this is how it should be, you are going to lose it. You are going to get angry, and to your detriment, you're hurting the relationships that mean the most to you. The way, as Nachmanides says, as we remove anger, is by growing in the trait of humility. To understand that not everything has to go exactly the way that I think it should go. Because I am not God. And I am not in control over anyone else but myself. And the more we understand and realize that, we will approach things differently. You're driving on that long trip and your kids are making so much noise and you're going out of your mind. You expected on a five-hour trip your kids to be perfect angels, quiet, not doing anything. That was your expectation going in. That's an element of arrogance. You are in control. Now step into that car with a little different approach. You know, look, would it be amazing if they were quiet? Of course, that would be amazing. It would be amazing. But at the end of the day, they're children. Who can expect them to be perfect in a car for one hour, let alone five hours? So now we're a little bit more tolerant. We've lowered that bar, that expectation. And now when your kids are starting to make noise, you're not going to, ah, right away at them. You may not even necessarily realize, or it may not even bother you. Because we have acted with humility. With a spouse, with a co-worker, so many different things where it needs to be a certain way and that doesn't happen if we just approach it with humility, that anger is not going to be the same. It may not even be there because it's not all about me. I am not God. I don't determine the way the world runs. That is this Parsha. You can't spell danger without anger because every time there is anger, it's going to lead to danger. Have a wonderful evening, everybody. Thank you for joining. Thank you. Thank you.